Well, if you have ever had the experience of starting a new job, particularly one that maybe is different than you've done before, uh, anybody like that? Yeah. You have this uneasy feeling because you don't know for sure exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, one of the things that has motivated my desire in, with regard to discipleship camp is that I discovered some years ago when I uh, was would question young men and women uh, over the age of 18 up to their mid-20s or almost to 30 at least and ask them, okay, what is, is what should you be doing in your Christian life in the assembly and how, what should you be doing in service to Christ right now? And 90% of them said, I don't know. Some of the girls would say, well, it's not this and it's not this and it's not that. But what exactly? They weren't sure. So I'm going to pose a question to you. How do we demonstrate our faith and devotion and the sincerity of our faith in Jesus Christ as believers? Does the scripture tell us what we're supposed to be doing? Now, there are certain assumptions that we may have made, but uh, how, do we, how do we demonstrate our faith? Let's, before we, we, we get into that, let's ask another question. How do some of the other uh, people of the world, religions of the world, do this? How does a Muslim demonstrate his faith? Well, does so by praying five times a day, by his attendance to the mosque and the study of the Quran and the memorization of the of the Quran and and there are religious holy days and certain rules that he's got he's got to observe to be a good Muslim. Uh, and we've become a little bit familiar with that in our generation with our, with the interaction of. Uh, Islam in the world. Okay? And we can see something similar among other religions like Hindus, for example. But how about something more close to home like some of the cults like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons? Uh, certain things that you got to do. Now, I have a sister-in-law who's a devout Mormon. And uh, she'd be an older sister to my first wife. <clears throat> and so she teaches genealogy in their, in their meeting because genealogy is a big thing to Mormons. But uh, very, very observant in her Mormon beliefs and her children have gone on the two-year mission and so on and so forth. But uh, her husband has really not, and I didn't know this at first, hadn't bought into this. So when his da- only daughter got married and it was a you know anything about Mormonism, a temple marriage. Only certain approved Mormons can even enter. Her dad could not even attend her own wedding because he was not uh, meeting the, the prerequisites. 
Well, we would like to think that we are certainly a lot different than that. But let's check ourselves here. And as we think about uh, even some uh, traditional forms of Christianity that we see around us, uh, and their emphasis upon certain externals like baptism, church attendance, so forth. Uh, what makes us different from them? Well, the difference is the Holy Spirit of God to begin with. Okay, if you do not have the Spirit of God, how are you going to demonstrate your religion? It's got to be in all those things that they do. What else? What else are you going to do? But now how are we different as, as Christians? Well, we attend church every Sunday. We read the Bible. Some of us memorize it. Okay, but besides that, what do we do? How do we demonstrate our faith and show our, our devotion and our sincerity? Well, let's turn to uh, a passage that most of you could quote. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. And in this passage, we're going to find the, the plan and purpose of God. And so, as you remember it, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. Created in Christ Jesus... For good works. We know that this salvation came to us as a gift of his grace. It is received through faith. It's not of anything that we can do to earn it. But then he has a plan for us. And in the translation I'm reading here, the New American Standard says, which God prepared beforehand. <clears throat> so, we might recall some words like that from the first chapter. Turn back a page and been enjoying uh, Josh's message, messages in Ephesians. And we saw early on in verse 5 of chapter 1 that he predestined, in, that in love he predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So God... Uh, prepared beforehand. He, he planned that all those who believe in him would receive the adoption of sons. So here's something else he planned beforehand. He predestined is that his followers would engage in good works. Well, that's kind of general and kind of vague. I want to follow that a little bit and see where that goes. But we've been created for this purpose, he says. And notice the, the words there as the verse concludes, the sentence concludes, so that we would walk in them. So as a regular course of life, a Christian is to engage in good works. Okay? What are some examples? Well, let's take uh, just a few here. Let's try one in the Gospels. Matthew 26. 
Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6, Jesus, it says, is in Bethany. This is right before his uh, crucifixion. He's in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. But his disciples were indignant when they saw this. And they said, why this waste? This perfume might have been sold for a high price in the money given to the poor. And we remember some of the other Gospels uh, indicate that Judas Iscariot himself spoke up out loud and objecting to this extravagance. And it, it is also told us then that Judas was the treasurer for the band of disciples, and he had been stealing from the money bag. So this was money he didn't get, and that was, was his concern. But, it, but notice here, it says, the disciples, plural, they all say, hey, this is extravagant. Why are you doing this? It's waste. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. So what's a good work? Well, it can be an act of, uh, of love and honor given to another. Think about that. You've probably done something like that. Hopefully uh, husbands and wives do that for one another at times. And we uh, maybe do that for someone on a special day, like a birthday. But an act of... Love and honor given to someone. He says, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me, Jesus went on to say. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for the burial. Did she know that? No. (laughs) She didn't know that. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Okay? So here is a woman who has come in and done this to the Lord Jesus as an act of love and devotion. Uh, Something a little more basic, maybe uh, to us. Let's go to Acts Chapter 2, Acts 2.44, this is, the church is just in its very beginning, and the gospel has gone forth, just a lot of people have believed, and it says of them in verse 44 that all those who believed were together and had all things in common, so they were they were uh, staying in close association and communication with one another. They were being together. They were just excited about what what uh, God was doing in their life through the coming of the Spirit of God and their salvation. And it says they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So, what what's it, what are good works or good deeds? Sharing with somebody who has a need. That's pretty simple. Do you need a college degree to do that? Nope. 
Not even a high school diploma. Do you need any training to do that? No, you do what you can. There are some things you don't know how to do, but we can share. We know how to do that. In Acts chapter 9, we read this in verse 36. And, and this is about the Apostle Peter. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. So here's a lady who got it. She's been created in Christ Jesus for good works, and she's just doing it. And notice how it, how it expresses that. She was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. So this is just a regular part of her life. This is what she does. She's just doing that. And it happened at that time she fell sick and died. And there she is, laid up in the room. So Peter is called. He comes in, in verse 39. Peter has arrived, and they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. So at least one of the good deeds she did is she was helping uh, poor widows with their basic needs. So what's a, what's a good work that you can do? Well, find somebody, and what is something that they need that you can help them with? Simple as that. So that is what she did. And uh, they loved her for it. If it weren't for this mention in Scripture, who would ever know this woman? But there she was. Deeds of kindness and love that she continually did. Let's look to the book of James, chapter 1, which follows well with this example we just looked at in Acts. In James 1, you remember as you get down to the end of that chapter, he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, if anyone thinks himself to be a devout Christian, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless if, you're, if your Christianity is all talk. It's not worth much. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our, our God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there is a a, a a physical, practical aspect to our Christian life. And there is the spiritual aspect as well, keeping oneself unstained from the world. But visit widows and orphans in their distress. What's that about? What would distress a widow? Well, how about the grief of her, it, whether it's a widow or widower of her mate dying. Uh, oftentimes this might 
produce some physical difficulties and some needs, maybe even some poverty. Now, just recently, a neighbor of ours passed away, and we went to the to the funeral there. And so this couple in their 70s, they've got a little place there across the road from us, and uh, Robert had a bobcat that he used to like to drive around a bit and do some work around there with. What's Sandy going to do with that? He's got a huge motor home that she doesn't know how to drive. I don't know what she's going to do with that. But she's she's alone now. She has some family that live local, but there's a lot of things that Robert did that she cannot do. There's a widow who has some needs. In my own experience of being a widower, um, I found that followed by grief, loneliness was a was a, a tremendous problem to me. And at the, the assembly, it seems that after the sometime after the funeral and everything, people have moved on and they don't even want to talk about it. And, and, and finally, I'm at a place where I need to, and there's nobody to talk to. So, the one who's widowed or divorced, you apply that, they have needs like this. Maybe if they have children, I did at the time. Real difficulty. And it was some Christians who really rescued me in that time. And a... Christian woman, a grandmother, she and her husband were retired, who became my regular child care providers for some time. But orphans. Where do we find orphans? We don't have orphanages anymore, do we? Well, if you notice, I, I put something on the board here a while ago. It was in the mailbox. It came to the assembly. And it, it says that at any given time, on average, there are 1,600 kids in the foster care system in North Dakota. Did you know that? That's a lot of kids. There's some orphans. What else might qualify as an orphan? How about single parents and the difficulty of, of raising their children by themselves? Could use some help. Back to uh, Matthew again. This time to chapter 5. We remember the passage where Jesus talks about Believers being salt and light in the world. But what does that actually mean? How do you how do you do that? I mean, that's something that's been a a, a discussion and a struggle with a lot of us for a long time. For, uh, Matthew five thirteen, he saying says to the disciples, "You are the salt of the earth." 
In verse 14, you are the light of the world. Okay? How is a Christian to be salt and light? Well, what does it go on to say here? Uh, at the end of this introduction of this metaphor, he says in verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So how does that work? You're a light by the good works that you do. So think about this. Um, Michael, the, the unsaved men and women you work with every day on base, do they have any idea what's going on here this morning? No? They don't, they don't see what we do here. The, the guys I work with, they know I go to church every Sunday. That's what they say. They don't know anything about this. So if, if my Christian faith then is pretty much limited to what I do on Sunday as far as anything outside of my house, <laughs> how, how are they going to know anything? How are they going to see it? So to be a light, they have to be able to see what we do. So that's going to mean we're going to have to do it with them. We're going to have to form these relationships and so forth. So they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Galatians chapter 5. We're, he's talking here about the, the, the freedom that we have in Christ, and we are to walk by the Spirit. And he says then in verse 13, You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So another way of saying this is, now that you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that you are to just do whatever you feel like and whatever pleases you. That's what you used to do before you were saved. You did whatever you liked. Did what pleased you. But now you're even you're to think of others, says through love, serve one another. Well, where does that begin? Well, certainly it begins in in the, in the assembly of believers and so forth. Okay? But you see this? It's others oriented. There's an outlook here for others. So the the purpose then and the plan of God when he saved us, was that as a regular way of life, as a continuous practice, we would be doing these things in interaction with one another, both believers and unbelievers, in our daily life. That's, that's his plan. That's what you're supposed to be doing. 
Now, what about the practice of faith? The practice of our faith. Let's look at uh, a passage in James. We'll look at several in James here real, real quickly. James chapter 1 is the first. James chapter 1. In verse 22, he says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, let's break that down a little bit. We do a lot of hearing. That's what we're doing here today, right? We do a lot of hearing. But our obedience quotient, our practice quotient, (laughs) often lags our knowledge quotient. We know about a lot more than than sometimes we do. But we're to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. But keep going here. Chapter 2, we have the familiar uh, statement in verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, think of that maybe in a little different way than you than you have before. If you have faith, how can anybody else see that except by what you do? Now, you remember when some people bought, brought a paralyzed man to Jesus, and he... Uh, Pose the question to the to the critics that were there with them. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Well, obviously, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. But it's, who can see that? How can you tell? But when he said, rise up, pick up your pallet, and go home, <laughs> a paralyzed man who it's impossible for him to do this, suddenly is able to do it, and he does exactly that. Now that, you can't argue with that. That you can see. So the the, the unsaved especially, but even, even believers, cannot see your faith unless you're demonstrating it, moving. He talks in this passage of James about helping someone. A brother or sister comes to you who's in need. So what are good works? Helping someone who has a need. And in chapter 3, who was wise and understanding? Okay. Who is well taught in the scripture? You you understand a lot about the word. You have a a disciplined Christian life. You feel pretty good as a Christian. Who is that? Well, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Okay. So we we know a lot. We've learned a lot. 
keeping on in the in the in the scriptures and different avenues and different ways, we need to show that through good works. Now in Timothy, he began his first Paul began his first letter to Timothy by saying this the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So our our teaching, our learning in the scriptures ought to produce something. Not just more knowledge. First uh, John three eighteen says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So our assertions of faith and our statement of faith need then to be demonstrated by acts of faith. Now let's go to the salad passage in the book of Hebrews. you know where that is, Derek? The salad passage? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot of lettuce there. Hebrews 10. The, the preface to this is in verse 19 through 21. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, let us, and let us. So let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So, we need encouragement. We need encouragement to do the good deeds that God has planned for us to do, and he wants us to do. So one of the things we should be about as an assembly is encouraging one another in that regard. How do you encourage somebody to do something? Well, you do it by, by talking about it, by being an example and demonstrating it, and by bringing someone along with you to do something for someone. Let's go back to Timothy. In chapter 2 of Timothy, verses 9 and 10, it says about women that their demonstration of, of faith in Christ is not in looking good on Sunday morning, but it is instead good works in chapter 5 and verse 10 here he's talking about widows 
who are going to be supported by by the assembly, or who who may be, uh, because they have no no they're in need uh, in their advanced age. They're they have no family believing or unbelieving who can or is willing to take care of them. But notice what the requirements are if the, if, if the assembly is going to take this person on and, and, and care for them. She must, in verse 10, have a reputation for good works. So that, we're talking about widows here, but what about you? Do you have a reputation for good works? Do, do people see you as a person who's ready and willing to help, that you're the kind of person who can see a need and go to it and do what you can. Do you have that kind of a reputation? Uh, One of the things that, that would just distress me greatly as a Christian is if my unbelieving associates, people that I encounter in, in regularly, such as at work, would only see me as uh, this religious guy that I have nothing in common with. You know. But can they see me as someone who can be a friend, who does not condemn or judge them, but seeks their good. Uh, as I've shared a number of times over the years, the place where I work has been a really tough place. But uh, time and perseverance has, has gotten me to a really good place with pretty near everybody there. But it, but it takes time. But I don't want to be seen as some religious guy. I don't want that. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Who are rich? Well, it's somebody who makes more money than I do. Okay, isn't that where we talk over that? But... What about that? Instruct them, Paul tells Timothy, to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. First Peter two, verse twelve. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers. So un- unbelievers might want to really t- Criticize you because you're a Christian. 
they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they see what kind of person you are and how you treat them and how you treat others around you. They see that. And they know that these slanderous charges are just not true. They may glorify God in the day of visitation. There, there are those whom you may have sought to uh, share the gospel with. Boy, the opportunities and the openness just isn't there. But they've recognized you as a certain kind of a person. They've seen your good deeds. So when the time comes when God is doing a work in their heart, they return to you. But they're not here. So what we're talking about happens out there. It doesn't happen in the privacy of your home or right here. But it happens out there. So the practice of our faith in uh, helping one another, helping those in need, is, is vitally important. And you know, probably everyone in here would, uh, if, if someone asked you for help, if it was something you could do, if it was doable, you, you'd do it, wouldn't you? Well, what we're talking about is not being a stranger until somebody asks you to help. One of the, one of the things uh, about someone in a time of grief, people don't know what to say. And sometimes say things like, well, if there's anything I can do for you, you call me. Well, unless you're talking to a close friend of yours, they're not going to call. You need to go to them. So the, a good deed is not something you do when somebody asks you to do it. It's something that you initiate. So what's the difficulty in, in doing good for others? Well, first off, it is not natural to any one of us. Now, we may know people who, who have, by, by disciplining themselves, and by their their practice of and walking in the in them have I mean, it just seems natural to them. But none of us were born this way. Look at Ephesians four twenty eight. This is a scripture that impressed me as a young believer, just newly saved, came across this. Ephesians four, verse twenty eight. He who steals must steal no longer. Well, everybody can get that. Right? But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. And it's that so that statement after that that caught me early on as a young Christian. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Did you know the purpose of, of, of uh, my job and your job and, and 
whatever you do to generate income. Uh, I mean, of course, you're going to you're going to need to take care of your own own needs. But beyond that, it is the intent of God that the purpose of your employment would also be that you would have something to share. Okay, so that that was a that was something that really got, grabbed me as a young believer that I cannot be all about myself because I guarantee you no matter how much money you make you can spend it all on yourself that's not hard to do so the difficulty in doing good for others is we have to go against our human nature to do that look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 6. Now this I say, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But here it is in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, in the context here, Paul is taking up a collection for the saints in, in Jerusalem, the believers there. There's, there's a, an economic recession, a famine going on. They're really, they're in tough times. They're having tough times. So these Gentiles are, are, are contributing offerings to send with Paul to them. And so he's collecting this. And so, listen, just give what you decide in your own heart it's willingly. That's what God loves, a willing giver. Not grudgingly. And he's not talking about the percentage or the amount, but just whatever you want to do, but it must be something that's willingly. And if you do that, God's going to take care of you. You're not going to come up short if you love and help someone else. So that you may have an abundance for every good deed. Titus chapter 2. We'll have to walk through these quickly. <clears throat> Titus 2. Hey, here's one for young men. Verses 6 and 7. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example. Of good deeds. Hey, how about that? How about young single guys? We've got a, at least a couple here. One's a teenager, one's a little beyond that. <laughs> okay? Be an example. Usually we think, well, it's the older people. You know, the parents and the grandparents, they should be examples. Well, I'm not arguing against that. But it says here, young men, be an example. Who can you be an example to? Well, certainly other young people. 
Be an example of good deeds. We need examples. So one of the difficulties in doing good deeds is maybe we don't see enough people doing it that way. As a course of life. Chapter 3 of Titus. Verse 1. And you're going to see something in here where he says, remind them. And then he said, be ready. And, and so forth. <laughs> why, why do we need that kind of exhortation? Remind them, he says in verse 1, to do a number of things. And one of those is to be ready for every good deed. Be ready. Well, how do you, how can you be ready for something you don't know is going to happen? Well, if you have uh, a way of thinking, an orientation that causes you to notice people around you and respond to them, that's what it is. Now, we had a neighbor there who really put us off for a number of years. But now she's a little more open. And I'm talking about the lady whose husband recently passed away. So, among those very small gathering that was invited to her house after the funeral, she invited us. We were surprised but pleased. But you have to be ready to change your plans. to respond to something the Lord brings to your path. Verse 8, Titus 3, yet, this is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So it's going to require some deliberate thinking on your part to do it. It's not just going to come naturally like sleeping. You're going to have to be deliberate. Verse 13 and 14, he says to them, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds. So this is something that you need to learn. So the earlier you get started, the better off you're going to be. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. So, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, uh, say Caleb, for example, at the fire department, they, they don't always tell you clearly at first what you're supposed to be doing, but eventually, you, if you survive, you figure it out, and, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and things will start to work out better. I hope you're there already <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. But... Uh, 
And then good things begin to happen from that. You'll not be unfruitful, he says. One more difficulty in doing good works. This one from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 begins this way. He says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, you think of those words from the first verse. They're all pretty good ones, aren't they? Encouragement? Do you need that? At times you do. So does other people. Are you ready to give it? Consolation or comfort to the one who's suffering or in sorrow. Fellowship, friendship. Do you offer that? Affection and compassion. Those are all wonderful things. So since we have those things in Christ, make my joy complete, he says. And then he says, do nothing from selfishness. So the difficulty in doing good deeds for others is selfishness. We're all born with the ability to take care of ourselves first. Very well. He says to husbands in chapter 5, love your wives as your own bodies. So men are good at taking care of themselves. If you're tired, you sleep. If you're hungry, you eat. If it itches, you scratch it. <laughs> but So to, to give that, certain, that same level of care to the wife what he tells him to do but going on here in Philippians do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others now we're all by nature good at looking out for our own interests what we like to do what we enjoy doing what we plan to do next you just naturally roll with that where does somebody else come into the picture here? Now, as we're, we're familiar with this text and, the, and the, what it says after that about the Lord Jesus, how have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus, because when he came down from heaven to be our Savior, he was not looking out for his own interests. He was looking out for ours. And boy, to what lengths did he go to do that? He gave himself for us. And Later on in this same chapter, now Paul is in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. Uh, things are, you know, going pretty, pretty well in one respect in that while he ha- cannot leave his residence, which he cannot work to pay the rent for, to buy the food and all of that, that's got to be provided by other, other believers. But the scripture tells us that people can come and go and see him, and so he's teaching and it, it's, it's a good time for the believers there, even though he's under house arrest. Now they put a, an ankle bracelet on you, and you can't leave a certain area or the alarm goes off and you get arrested. Okay? But he was under house arrest. But he writes to the Philippians, 
this letter that we've just read a few verses in. And one of the things he goes on to tell them, he says, I wanted to send someone to you to help you. And there, there are many capable brethren here, and, and uh, Timothy is going to be mentioned here. Timothy, if he spent more than one visit in Rome while Paul's in prison, that would be it. Most of the time, he was out somewhere else. But he's, he is there now, and someone also who was from Philippi, Epaphroditus, and he's going to now, he's, I finally got somebody to send to you that will help you. There's a lot of capable brothers here among the, the, the assembly here in Rome, but they're not available. Verse 21, he says this about them. This is sad. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, we are all by nature good at seeking our own interests. And so we can become too busy to do the work of God that he has purposed and planned for us to do. Just too busy. Uh, I can get my nose to the grindstone and there's always things to do and Monday follows Sunday and the weekend follows that and week follows week and month follows month and what am I doing? Take an inventory of your life. Start from today and go backwards. Okay? What is it about my regular walk of life, my course of life, that has something to do with, with someone outside of my household, outside of my personal interests? Go back as far as you want, a week, a month, Months, in my regular course of life, do I have an outward look? Do I notice others? Am I ready to respond to them? Or am I just too busy? Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you saved us in Christ as a gift of your grace. You also gave us a job to do, a purpose to follow, a plan. And you desire us to do many things to help one another and to help those who are unsaved even. And to bring glory to Christ. God, may we remember to do it. May we be ready to do it. And may we be willing to do it. And through love to serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.